You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking news tonight involving an extremely violent fugitive murder suspect from BC who's finally behind bars. Sarah McDonald has more on the capture of Brandon Texera. Sarah? Chris, after more than a year on the run, one of the provinces and the country's most wanted fugitives has finally been arrested and taken into custody south of the border in California. Homicide investigators confirming this afternoon the arrest of Brandon Texera on Sunday in a remarkably remote area of California. Texera nabbed on a rural property southeast of the city of Oroville and about a 15-minute drive from the nearest community, just to give you some context of how remote the area that he has been hiding out in is. Texera is wanted for first-degree murder in the 2017 shooting death of Nicholas Cabra in Surrey, but he had managed to evade both American and Canadian law enforcement officials for more than a year. That is, until yesterday. American officers in Butte County, which led the operation to arrest Texera, describing that takedown as violent and dynamic. Well, we're certainly concerned for uh, any members of the public who um, were around him, especially given the fact uh, that uh, he did you know, was charged with uh, murder. Uh, there was an indication that he had um, made an effort to, to you know, uh, escape in a pretty dramatic fashion. We didn't want him to get out and protect, perhaps endanger uh, other members of the community, which is why we brought all the resources that we had there to uh, try to contain that situation and bring him into custody safely. Here is what we know. Texera was discovered inside a residence alongside another man who is now being charged with harboring a wanted felon. Narcotics, including 26 pounds of heroin and 40 pounds of marijuana, also found inside that same home. Authorities say Texera exited the house, but got into a vehicle and rammed it into an armored police vehicle in a bid to escape. He was ultimately taken down by a police canine and hospitalized. He has since been taken into custody by U.S. Marshals. Uh, it was a very dynamic situation. Um, my understanding is that Mr. Texera tried to evade police once again down there. Um, so we are very, my understanding also is that everyone is safe, including Mr. Texera. Uh, he's in custody. Um, and all the officers that were involved in the apprehension of him are also safe, for which we're also grateful. Now, officials aren't yet revealing what tip might have led them to Texera in such a remote area, or if anybody will be claiming that $55,000 reward that had been issued for any information leading to his arrest earlier this year. The big question now, Chris, remains is when will he be back in Canada, if ever? Investigators here telling us today Texera will face an extradition hearing south of the border before likely returning to B.C. to face trial on that first-degree murder charge. All right. Thanks very much, Sarah. The integrated homicide investigation team also taking over what's believed to be a targeted shooting in Surrey. One man is dead, another is in serious condition. And as Grace Key reports, investigators are looking into some very familiar hallmarks. A BMW riddled with bullets rests next to a park where a playground sits just a few feet away. It's the scene of Surrey's latest homicide. It happened at about 11 o'clock Sunday night at 114th Avenue and 136th Street. When police got to the scene, one man was already dead. Another was rushed to hospital in serious condition. One neighbor who doesn't want to be identified describes what she heard. Um, heard gunshots, uh, probably about six of them. And next thing you know, there was a car just went speeding up the street. We came outside and uh, the neighbors, some of the neighbors had started to come out and we looked down and there, we could see the body um, lying on the ground. 
About 30 minutes after the shooting, a vehicle was spotted torched in Burnaby near Foreshore Park, about 14 kilometers away. One Surrey neighbor reported seeing an SUV speeding away after the shooting, but at this time, police have no suspect vehicle description. It happened kind of around the same time last night, and certainly we're looking into that. Um, but right now, there's no definitive link between that burned vehicle and our investigation. It's too early. Some neighbors aren't surprised there was a shooting here. They say they often see unusual activity around the park. I always see the people uh, like standing over there and then lots of time I, I notice the police car comes around and checking over there too. The victims are known to police and this is believed to be a targeted incident. This is Surrey's 18th murder of the year. Grace Key, Global News. Meantime, the public is weighing in on Surrey's financial plan for the next five years, and some are concerned there's too much focus and money being spent on the transition to a municipal police force. As Ted Chernecki reports, the majority of people expressing opinions today felt like they were being asked to spend more and get less. I'm only going to ask you once, this is, you have, no, there will be no clapping allowed in this thing. In fact, the mayor had to ask the crowd several more times to not clap. This crowd was in no mood, and from there on in, it clapped after every speaker. You are wrong. We don't need a canal. We don't need a new police force. What we need is to focus on the growth of the city and what is best for, for us, the residents. Thank you. Thank you for more than 60 speakers, and almost every one of them opposed to a five-year budget that would see vast resources pouring into Surrey's new municipal police force at the expense of many other services. The violence in this city isn't a policing problem. It is a much bigger social problem. She's the widow of 47-year-old Paul Bennett, who was the victim in a mistaken identity targeted shooting in June 2018. This whole plan is a waste of taxpayer money and quite frankly, a slap in the face to the victims left behind. The Surrey Firefighters Association told Council Vancouver with only a slightly larger population has twice as many firefighters. And with Surrey's rapid growth, adding no new firefighters is a growing safety risk. You can't run a city as large as Surrey on the number of members that we have either working within the fire service or within the RCMP. Why are we paying more for fewer boots on the ground? That was a common theme heard throughout the day's hearings. The mayor wouldn't comment until after tonight's regular city council meeting where this draft budget gets four readings before a fifth and final one in two weeks when, if passed, it'll become Surrey's new reality. Ted Schnecke, Global News. The Vancouver Taxi Association is trying to get the Passenger Transportation Board to put the brakes on ride-hailing. This time, the 11th hour bid to block Uber and Lyft involves allegations the ride-hailing giants exploit their drivers. Richard Zussman has more on the claims and the potential impact. Richard. Chris, the Vancouver Taxi Association isn't giving up this road without a fight. With the Passenger Transportation Board on the verge of handing out licenses for ride-sharing, the VTB throwing up one final potential roadblock. It's another ride-sharing showdown. Metro Vancouver's largest taxi association asking the Passenger Transportation Board to turn down licenses for Lyft and Uber because they don't classify drivers as employees. The very issue the United Food and Commercial Workers Union filed a complaint with the Labour Relations Board about last week. 
We filed our application with the Labor Relations Board so that they could hopefully fast-track it and have our issue addressed and heard prior to ride-hailing coming into BC. Uber and Lyft declined comment on Monday as they review the request. The union says drivers should be deemed employees because they need to perform well to continue driving for a certain company. With that would come the right to minimum wage and other benefits. I think we need new kinds of business models. Uh, I think making them employees uh, imposes significant costs and restraints on the kind of services that the companies can provide. The Passenger Transportation Board is expected to announce licenses this month. BC Liberal MLA Jazz Johal says most Lyft and Uber drivers are part-time and it's time to clear the way and allow ride-sharing to operate in BC. British Columbians should be angry. They've been promised this for over two years now and the NDP has put up roadblocks right from the start and now at the tail end they've got their Labour friends stepping in. The fate of Lyft and Uber would have a profound impact on Cater, the BC-based company hoping to get a ride-sharing license that promises to make drivers employees. Uh, governments around the world that are in the process of implementing legislation that requires ride-hailing drivers to be employees. There's no indication yet from the Passenger Transportation Board on whether they will take the association's advice, but time is running out to hit the province's deadline, Chris, of having ride-sharing on the roads here by Christmas. All right, thanks very much, Richard. Newly released dash cam video captures the moments just before an SUV plowed into an 11-year-old girl on Vancouver Island. The video came out in court at the dangerous driving trial of the young woman who struck Layla Buey almost two years ago. Global's Brad McLeod has more on what the video shows and why it could be key evidence. These are the moments before 11-year-old Layla Buey was hit. Tanessa Nykirk was caught on dash cam driving this black SUV through Saanich. You can see the 21-year-old speed past a couple cars. Experts testified Nykirk could have been traveling in excess of 100 kilometers an hour when overtaking those cars. Moments later, the camera catches the horrible scene. Nykirk hit the young girl as she was using the crosswalk. Layla Bowie was left with devastating brain damage. I'm really torn because... I don't know if she's really struggling to be there for you because you're asking her to and I feel selfish at times to ask her to stay with us. Nykirk faces dangerous driving charges causing bodily harm. Also in evidence, Nykirk was having a text conversation for several minutes leading up to the accident. As for Bowie, multiple witnesses said that the young girl looked both ways while using the crosswalk. Final arguments were made Monday afternoon, but before they began, Judge Mayland McKim actually left the court to drive the recorded route, making note of 30 to 40 kilometer an hour speed limits in the area and what the morning conditions are like at the scene of the intersection of Ash and Norquay. Layla's parents attended the final day of the trial, not only in search of some sense of closure, but to share who their daughter was, something Layla can't do. I'm also here so that people know who Layla is and give her a voice. She's a leader, she shares, she loves, very bubbly. One day maybe she'll, you know, she'll know who we are or be a little old Layla again. A verdict is expected sometime early in the new year. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria.
Canada's premiers are meeting just outside Toronto for the first time as a group since the federal election. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. And Keith, obviously varying opinions among that group. And John Horgan in some ways is the odd man out. So what do they hope to accomplish? Well, one uh, truism, I think, in politics, Chris, is you put a bunch of premiers in Canada in the same room and they're going to emerge with one common theme, with their hands out, looking to the federal government for more money. And that's what happened today. You're right, John Horgan, a bit on the outside here. He's the, basically surrounded by a sea of blue of conservative premiers. But since the last election, just recent election, you've heard a lot of talk about pipelines and those types of things in Western uh, alienation. Today, though, the focus was on health care. That's the biggest part of every premier's budget. John Horgan among those saying, uh, you've got to revisit the whole notion of the Canadian health transfer. It was cut by the Stephen Harper government, has yet to be refigured in a new formula by Trudeau, by the new Trudeau government. That's going to be top of mind for the premiers. John Horgan making his case that this is even more important than a national pharmacare program. For us, uh, as a group today, we felt that uh, the Canadian health transfer was more than just symbolic. It was uh, meaningful to our budget so that we can deliver the health care that people need, whether it's mental health issues, whether it's uh, care for seniors. The, the, the list is long. Uh, wait times, uh, diagnostic <coughs> equipment, all of those issues are languishing while we have a discussion about taking us in a direction that many of us are already on. That, so I, it wasn't a negative. I, wouldn't, I, I think I'm speaking for everyone when I say we, we were welcoming a discussion about a national farm care plan, but those of us who already have significant plans would prefer uh, that we first and foremost get back to a, a, a more equitable distribution of resources to deliver health care broadly across, across the piece. Now, these premiers will have their chance to make their case to the Prime Minister next month. That's really going to be the big meeting, Chris, when all these premiers get together in a First Minister's conference with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And you can be sure John Horgan, B.C.'s Premier, and Justin Trudeau will display the fact they are very common and strong political allies, stronger probably than Mr. Trudeau has a relationship with any other premier across the country. That, look for that meeting to take place sometime early in the new year. Look forward to that. Okay, thanks very much, yeah. Keith Baldry and Victoria. But first, a bold break-in by a thief in Prince George. The suspect came crashing through the ceiling of a downtown business, and it was all caught on surveillance camera. CKPG's Ethan Reddy spoke to the shop owners as they cleaned up. Owners of Butterfly Boutique in downtown Prince George were faced with a storefront to clean following a brazen break-in and theft, with the roof being the form of entry. We are so frustrated. A person has come through the roof. They crawled up on top of our roof. They came through the vent area. They took apart our roof and came down through the ceiling, wrecked our ceiling. There is gyprock and whatever else is all over the floor. To see uh, an offense like this where somebody's crashing through the ceiling of a business, we very rarely see that kind of a, an entry. RCMP were alerted by the store's security system. So at 2.53 this morning, Monday, December 2nd, the RCMP received a report of an alarm in, at a business in the 500 block of George Street. Uh, we responded and we cleared the store and there was nobody found inside the store. This isn't the first time that the business has been faced with downtown issues. We have to lock our door now at around 3.34 when it gets dark because the people that are coming in are not here to shop. They are here to shoplift. I had a confrontation a few weeks ago where I literally physically had to take a coat away from somebody and it wasn't very nice. The RCMP have a message to those considering taking matters into their own hands. 
to store owners and to the general public, uh, the RCMP would like to remind them not to confront uh, somebody who is potentially shoplifting or stealing something from the store. The best, best practice is to get the best description you can, call the police. This marks yet another event in a chain of social issues in downtown, putting pressure on the city to find a resolution. Ethan Reddy, CKPG News. That is the sound of money as an Amazon distribution center pumps out millions of packages on Cyber Monday. North American online shoppers are expected to shell out nearly $10 billion today, another record amount. Online shopping now accounts for about 10% of overall shopping these days. And as online shopping increases, so does a troubling trend. Porch pirates, as they're known, stealing packages off doorsteps. There aren't any real statistics to track the extent of the problem in Canada, but some U.S. reports suggest more than 11 million households were victims last year. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrew is here with some advice on how to protect those purchases when they arrive. Shocking stats, really, when you think about it. Yeah, you really have to cover your bases. Thanks Mm -hmm. for that, Chris. Major couriers have been forced to step up their game to prevent package theft. But the problem, as you have heard, persists, especially at this time of year. Now some companies are offering consumers a solution, hoping to outsmart the porch bandits. It's a worry for many online shoppers. Real-life Grinches swiping packages from doorsteps and porches ruining all that holiday cheer. In fact, a new survey commissioned by FedEx has found it's a bigger problem in Canada than first thought. In an online survey of 1,500 Canadians, one in four has had a package stolen, and the same was true for online shoppers in B.C. One in four British Columbians were a victim of a porch pirate. FedEx, like many major couriers, are taking steps to curb the crime allowing customers to choose a retail location in their surrounding area to pick up and drop off packages. If you know you're not going to home, take action. If you get a tracking number, you're expecting to receive a package that day, jump online, look at what that delivery company or the online merchant offers you and have that package redirected. But it's not just courier companies stepping up their game. The decision was, let's not just create a drop box that's secure. Let's create something that's more technologically advanced that could fight against the porch pirates that are out there right now. Danby Appliances has just launched its Made in Canada Danby Parcel Guard Smart Mailbox for your home, an anti-theft device to help your online deliveries arrive safely. So what happens is your courier shows up, opens the front door, puts in your package. When they close it, it drops down below where it's secured. Only you can open it with a key, your smartphone, or with a key code. What makes this unique and technologically advanced is the fact that it's got motion detection, which means it'll tell you that someone's come up on your porch. It's got an IP camera that'll videotape the occasion for a minute, which will also go directly to your phone and up into the cloud. And at the same time, when the package drops down below, it's got a weight sensor that tells you you have the delivery. If you're not in the market for a smart mailbox, Canada Post suggests these tips to keep your parcels safe. Read the retailer's shipping policy before you buy and look at shipping options. Request a signature. Sign up for Flex Delivery, a free service that lets you select from more than 6,100 post offices to pick up your parcel. And track packages after you buy them with Canada Post tracking app. A few proactive steps to hopefully make your online shopping experience a little merrier. 
Now, if your parcel is stolen, you can contact Canada Post Customer Service. They say they will potentially work with the sender, but they also urge customers to reach out to retailers to claim a refund or have the parcel sent to them again. Depending on their policies, many online retailers will resend the item. Couriers like FedEx urge customers to call police and file a police report and also to contact the sender. You can also call the courier company directly. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. The rush to get home after the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday has slowed to a crawl for thousands of people stuck on highways and in airports, stranded by the first major snowstorm of the season. Storm warnings stretch across 15 northeastern states. Some areas could get 60 centimeters of snow before it's done. In South Dakota, nine members of an extended Idaho family died when their plane crashed in a blizzard as they were heading home from a hunting trip. In London tonight, the city is mourning the two victims of last week's stabbing attack and hailing the heroes who stopped it. And the fact the attacker was on the streets at all is becoming a political issue. London Bridge has reopened to commuters three days after a deadly terror attack. On Friday, bystanders sprayed 28-year-old Usman Khan with a fire extinguisher and tackled him before police killed the convicted terrorist who was wearing a fake suicide vest. Khan was attending a prisoner rehabilitation event near London Bridge when he went on his stabbing spree. Two Cambridge University graduates who organized the conference died in the attack, 25-year-old Jack Merritt and 23-year-old Saskia Jones. London will never be cowed or intimidated by terrorism. Khan was convicted of terrorism in 2012 for plotting to bomb the London Stock Exchange. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison but released early last year. British security services have reportedly stepped up surveillance on 74 terrorists who were also let out of prison early. Vigils are being held across the UK to remember the victims. Despite British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and rival Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn blaming each other for the security failures that allowed the attack, the two stood shoulder to shoulder to remember the victims and the heroes who took down the attacker. Cindy Palm, CBS News, London. The American woman who says she was forced into underage sex with Britain's Prince Andrew is speaking out again tonight. Virginia Jufri says she was trafficked by late U.S. financier Jeffrey Epstein and forced to have sex with his friends, including the British royal, when she was just 17. And she criticizes people who question an old photo of her and the prince. People on the inside are going to keep coming up with these ridiculous excuses, like his arm was elongated, or the photo was doctored, or uh, he came to New York to break up with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, come on, I'm calling BS on this, because that's what it is. He knows what happened. I know what happened. And there's only one of us telling the truth, and I know that's me. He asked me to dance. He is the most hideous dancer I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was horrible. And this guy was sweating all over me. Like his sweat was like, it was raining basically everywhere. And I was just like, grossed out from it. Um, But I knew I had to keep him happy because that's what Jeffrey and Gillen would expect from me. I implore the people in the UK to stand up beside me, to help me fight this fight, to not accept this as being okay, 
This is not some sordid sex story. This is a story of being trafficked. A remarkable archaeological discovery on display for the first time tonight in Russia. This puppy was found preserved in permafrost in the eastern Siberian region of Yakutia. Carbon dating shows it's 18,000 years old. It's amazingly well-preserved with fur, teeth, and even whiskers. Scientists have sequined almost the entire genome, but say they still can't determine if it's a wolf or a domesticated dog, or some prehistoric ancestor of both. In Health Matters tonight, the Vancouver YWCA has opened an innovative housing community for single mothers. The Pacific Spirit Terrace has 31 two- and three-bedroom apartments for as many as 90 low-income single moms and their children. The housing project was built as part of the redevelopment of Fire Hall No. 5, the location chosen to ensure the housing is a safe space. Because of Pacific Spirit Terrace, I can actually see our future with a dark cloud looming over it. I am able to move forward confidently, knowing that I can provide the life my daughter deserves on my own. Thank you. A global news exclusive now on a story we first reported back in the spring. A controversial weight loss program that offered to pay clients who successfully shed pounds. Customers, though, said they were cheated because they weren't paid back even when they proved they succeeded. Tonight, Global Sean O'Shea has more from the man behind weight loss grants. It was a public relations nightmare because we did not do a good job. Darren Morgenstern for the first time publicly defending what happened with his company's controversial weight loss rebate scheme, known as weight loss grants. Are you a scammer? Of course not. I'm not a scammer. It was a complete scam. It's a complete scam. For months, clients like Janet Minus have complained they were cheated out of thousands of dollars by Morgan Stern's company. The clinic agreed she lost the weight, but when the company later changed the rules, her rebate was denied. There's no cost to apply. And they advertised what seemed like a great way to get paid to lose weight. If someone paid, say, $2,000 to an approved clinic, like a chain called Dalewood run by weight loss grants, clients would get up to 80% back if they hit their weight target. At $1,600 or more. I felt taken advantage of. I felt like they took advantage of my trust. Josh Franey lost 40 pounds, but he and many other clients across Canada say the company didn't pay them, even though they say they proved they lost the weight. I don't understand how, how you can continue scamming people for your own benefit. The company said they denied Franey because his doctor didn't send them a form. And Morgenstern says his company is the victim here. Where 75% of the grant claims are not legitimate. Morgenstern says he was paying out $50,000 a month in rebates and claims it wasn't always even checking to verify if the claims were valid. We had to put the brakes on. When we reported on how the company was changing its rules, denying customers their money, weight loss grants posted personal health information, including clients' names and weights, on its website. I'm apologizing for any misconduct. He also posted false information about Global News, too. We apologize to you. I don't think that it was right to push back the way we did. But what about the money? I'm going to keep coming 
until I get my money back. You know, I lost the weight, I worked really hard, and I was expected something at the end, my reward, and I didn't get it. As Morgan Stern left our studio, Janet Minus wanted to let him know directly how she feels. I really, really believe you guys are just a bunch of scammers. You're never going to pay any of us well, out, but I want my money Hold back. On. We're going to look at every single file with a fine-tooth comb, and we are going to pay every single person that deserves it. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Morgan Stern says his company paid out about $800,000 to consumers. They say they tightened up rules because the volume of claims was higher than they expected. Morgan Stern accused doctors of falsifying customers' weights so they would get paid back. All of the customers Global News spoke to for the story say they followed all of the rules that were set out when they signed up and that they lost the weight. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a team from UBC is hoping two pictures will translate into action that could save the lives of children. Engineers and psychologists have teamed up with visual artists to show what could happen to a Vancouver elementary school in the event of a major earthquake. Linda Aylesworth explains why. We know it's coming. Scientists say a massive earthquake is well overdue. It could be 10 years from now, it could be 20 years from now, it could be tomorrow. Experts think that this is uh, potentially uh, going to be the worst natural disaster in the history of North America. As the mother of a seven-year-old, Elizabeth Dunn is concerned that over 100 BC schools are at high risk of collapsing when the big one hits. And that for most, no seismic upgrades are in the works. And I was really distressed by the fact that so many Vancouver parents are faced with the prospect of sending their kids off to schools that we know wouldn't be safe in case of an earthquake. And she was frustrated by what seemed to be apathy on the part of the government to rectify the situation, as well as the public to encourage them. And so Dr. Elizabeth Dunn got to work, using her psychology background to see if she could drum up some enthusiasm. We're much more likely to actually sort of respond and care if we're exposed to vivid imagery um, that captures the risk. And so it was that UBC's psychology department teamed up with the engineering department to come up with an idea of what a high-risk elementary school would look like after a big earthquake. And then we hired a professional artist who helped us take all of this information and use it to create this photorealistic image. Very substantial damage, including partial collapse in some places, um, some pancaking. Half of the study participants were shown the images, the other half given statistics on what would happen. They were then asked to sign a petition. What we found is that um, significantly more people chose to sign this petition indicating a real drive to speed up progress on um, seismic upgrades to schools after seeing our image. Her hope, not just to further knowledge, but to bring about change. It's been a hot-button issue in the past, and somehow I think it's ended up on the political back burner lately, and I'm hoping that our work can help contribute to bringing this back to the public's attention. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A seven-year-old surfer gets an unexpected surprise. What scared him right off the board after the forecast? And we'll check in with Christy right now to see what's to come. Thankfully, not so much snow in Vancouver, but there was some around, right? 
Yes, there was. At Fraser Valley got some snow, some flakes in Metro Vancouver. But yeah, first blast of winter for our area. I love our uh, viewers, Chris. Look at this photo from that we showed on uh, Friday showing the frost flowers from 100 Mile House. And then I put it out to our viewers to send us more images of frost flowers because it's typical that you get the frost flowers in the beginning of the season when the ice is still thin. Some moisture is able to seep out some of the holes. And of course, yes, our viewers uh, sent in a ton of photos. This one from Snag. Lake 108 Mile Ranch. Thank you to Tim for that one. And another look at all of them across Ness Lake. Uh, thank you to Donna for that one. And one last shot for you from Greeny Lake, not Green Lake, Greeny Lake, which is uh, um, just sort of northeast of 108 Mile House as well. So thank you to everyone who shared the photos. It was great to see those. Uh, here's a look at our region. It was sort of a drizzly day today. The freezing level was about a thousand meters, says Katie and John. So yes, we saw some snow on the local mountains. That won't be the case tomorrow. The freezing level is going to climb, but there will be other parts of the province that will see snowfall. Snowfall warning in effect for Highway 1 Eagle to Rogers Pass up to 40 centimeters expected by Wednesday morning and all of these other areas up to 25 centimeters. So significant snowfall. Here's why you can see the snowfall pummeling those regions, whereas the south coast will remain mild. So rainfall for our region and that freezing level climbing to probably about 1,200 meters and we'll continue to see that snowfall in the interior regions into Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, though, it will all clear out. So here's your Tuesday, though. Wet around the north coast, inland regions from Prince George right down in through the Columbia area. Snowfall, light flurries expected for the Kootenai region, but drying through the interior, whereas the south coast will be wet on and off tonight through the day tomorrow, but it should clear out Wednesday morning. So Wednesday afternoon looking dry, but it's wet from there on in. And I'll leave you with a gorgeous shot from Yukon. Thank you to Wendy Huffman. Great cloud shot there near Marsh Lake. That is gorgeous. Thanks a lot, Christy, and thanks, Wendy, for sending it in. Now, caught on video, a seven-year-old surfer's encounter with the Wild Kingdom. And let's hope it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. A GoPro captures Handler Moore surfing off the Florida coast when he suddenly looks down and sees something no surfer wants to see. All right, let's see what knocked him off his board. We slow down the video a little bit, and it's a black tip shark hitting his board with its fin. You can see it in the bottom left corner. Luckily, he wasn't hurt, and as scary as it was at the time, Chandler says it's definitely not going to keep him from going out into the water. <laughs> Thoughts uh, are with one of the Canucks, not with the team presently. Yes, uh, this is the second time he has had a leave of absence because of the... Um situation with his father uh, after playing two straight games Jacob Markstrom is flying back to Sweden for his late father's funeral service so that means Thatcher Demko likely is the starter tomorrow against Ottawa and since the Canucks don't play again until Saturday Markstrom could be back by then uh, tomorrow the backup will be Mikey DiPietro who has played pretty well in Utica this year and Antoine Roussel back from his conditioning stint with Utica could be ready to play his first game since ripping up his knee late last season. That gives the Canucks a little more edge. He's the kind of guy you want if someone starts taking liberties with one of the Canucks star players. Uh, to make this work, Michael Furlan has been put on the long-term injury list. That makes it work underneath the cap. And, of course, tomorrow night, Alex Burroughs goes into the Canucks' ring of honor. One of the best wingmen, well, he was the best wingman the Sedins ever had in that 2011 playoff run, scored the overtime winner against Chicago. There's game two's overtime winner against Boston. 
He'll become the seventh member of the Ring of Honor, joining Quinn, Curtinback, McLean, Gradeen, Sneps, and Olin. Former Canucks coach and current Blackhawks assistant coach Mark Crawford is the latest to be under NHL investigation for past transgression. Sean Avery accused Crawford of kicking him while he was on the bench while the two were working with the LA Kings. Last September on a podcast, former Canuck Brent Sopel accused Crawford of physically abusing him while they were working with the Canucks in 99. The Hawks have put Crawford on leave until the investigation is over. They'll talk to a lot of other former players of Crawford to see if there are any other stories like that. Uh, The BC Lions said they wanted a head coach with CFL experience, and they definitely got one with Rick Campbell joining up today, someone who was coached either as an assistant or a head man in the CFL every year since 99, the son of one of the greatest CFL coaches ever, Hugh Campbell. Rick left his job with Ottawa at the end of this season, and the Lions laser-focused in on getting him here pretty much the moment he said he was no longer a Red Black. There is one very big difference between the man who sits in this office now and the last guy who sat in it, and that is experience. Devon Claybrooks was in his first year as a head coach with the Lions in 2019. In 2020, Rick Campbell will be in his seventh straight year as a CFL head coach. Uh, Very successful as an assistant coach, very successful as a head coach, Grey Cup champion uh, coach. Campbell led Ottawa to three Grey Cup appearances in the span of four years, and he pulled off a huge upset win over Calgary in the 2016 Grey Cup. But this past year, the Red Blacks were even worse than the Lions. They were 3-15. So Campbell knows how quickly things can change in a nine-team league for bad and for good. CFL is a league where... Um, you make one or two tweaks to things where you add a player or two or a coach or two and all of a sudden um, you find a way to win those close games and all of a sudden things can go in the right direction. The general feeling, whether it's right or wrong, is the BC Lions are a good team that had a bad season because their coaching staff was too inexperienced to harness what they had. Campbell believes what they had and what he has is a lot of talent. There's a there's some damn good football players here. I got to see them up close twice last year. Um, I'm not going to name all the names, but uh, Mike Riley and, and the crew, um, there's some really good guys here. The other thing about Rick Campbell, he's an old friend of GM Ed Hervey's, who seems much happier hiring an experienced head coach one year after he gave Devon Claybrooks his first ever head coaching job. I don't have to worry about whether Rick's going to tell me A is going to happen and then I look up, D is happening. You know what I mean? Like this this relationship, this working relationship is one that I feel very confident uh, that I can trust. Let's go! Let's go, man! Let's go! We're here for a reason! We're here for a reason! Let's go! They're here for a reason. They got their their action green uniforms on. Those lime green things. You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm starting to like those uniforms. Uh, seven seven at that point. This is Bizarro. So batted by a defender, then batted by Russell Wilson, right to Anthony Harris. Watch. One deflection, two deflections. I think what Wilson was trying to do is just knock it down, but Harris got in front of it, ran it in. 17-10 at halftime for uh, oh that guy looks unhappy. 
Here's your snow report for this evening. Pretty exciting. Fresh snow across BC mountains. Whistler Blackhole, 4 centimeters. Grouse, 3. Cypress, 5. And Sasquatch has finally picked a date, opening December 12th. Manning Park is still waiting to find a date, though. Revelstoke picked up 5 centimeters in the last 24 hours. Fernie, 8. Kicking Horse will open this Friday. Big White, 5 centimeters. Silver Star, 8. And Sun Peaks, 1. Apex will open on Saturday. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date. Whitewater will open on Friday. Red Mountain on December 12th, and Powder King has 150 centimeters of base. Okay, it was supposed to be a day off for a visiting NHL player, but that didn't stop him from mixing it up a little while he's here. Ottawa Senators defenseman Mark Borowiecki was in Gastown yesterday when he saw someone break into a vehicle. As the suspect tried to ride off on a bike, Borowiecki apparently clotheslined him stopping him dead in his tracks and getting the stolen property back. Vancouver police are thanking him, but they say while his actions might be okay for an NHL tough guy, others probably should respond differently. We are very grateful that Mark was able to retrieve the property and that he was safe. We're asking anybody who does witness a crime to call the Vancouver police, notify us so we can investigate and stay safe out there. Should we be cheering on the Ottawa Senators tomorrow night? Well, we're definitely a Canucks fan, so we're going to say go Canucks. Uh, but we're going to thank Mark for what he has done in the city of Vancouver. Maybe a little extra applause, right? It'll be interesting to see the welcome Borowiecki will get when he takes to the ice tomorrow night in Vancouver. A crime fighter. Crime fighter. He is. He's like a Marvel <laughs> comic character. It's awesome. Let your straight arm do the talking. Okay, uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure, so we are expecting rain tonight and through the day tomorrow, 10 to 30 millimeters potentially in the next 24 hours into Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday should be drier and then it looks a little soggy from there on in. So it's definitely a week to keep the umbrella handy. Good news is we're not talking about snow anymore after a little scare over the weekend. Good, Good. Mm-hmm. I've, I've still got the shovel up in the garage rafters. Just so in I'm case. Not, I'm not ready to take it down yet. Thanks very much for watching. Have a great night, everybody.